of Human Bondage by William Somerset Maugham. Chapter 54, Segment 1. The examination Philip had passed before he was articled to a chartered accountant was sufficient qualification for him to enter a medical school. He chose St. Luke's because his father had been a student there, and before the end of the summer session had gone up to London for a day in order to see the secretary. He got a list of rooms from him and took lodgings in a dingy house, which had the advantage of being within two minutes' walk of the hospital. "'You'll have to arrange about a part to dissect,' the secretary told him. "'You'd better start on a leg. They generally do. They seem to think it's easier.' Philip found that his first lecture was in anatomy at eleven. And about half-past ten, he limped across the road, and a little nervously made his way to the medical school. Just inside the door, a number of notices were pinned up, lists of lectures, football fixtures, and the like, and these he looked at idly, trying to seem at his ease. Young men and boys dribbled in and looked for letters in the rack, chatted with one another and passed downstairs to the basement, in which was the student's reading room. Philip saw several fellows with a desultory, timid look dawdling around, and surmised that, like himself, they were there for the first time. When he had exhausted the notices, he saw a glass door which led into what was apparently a museum, and having still twenty minutes to spare, he walked in. It was a collection of pathological specimens. Presently, a boy of about eighteen came up to him. "'I say, are you first year?' he said. "'Yes,' answered Philip. "'Where's the lecture room, do you know? "'It's getting on for eleven. "'We'd better try to find it.' "'They walked out of the museum into a long, dark corridor "'with the walls painted in two shades of red, "'and other youths walking along suggested the way to them. "'They came to a door marked Anatomy Theatre. "'Philip found that there were a good many people already there. "'The seats were arranged in tiers, "'and just as Philip entered,' An attendant came in, put a glass of water on the table, in the well of a lecture room, and then brought in a pelvis and two thigh bones, right and left. More men entered and took their seats, and by eleven the theater was fairly full. There were about sixty students. For the most part, they were a good deal younger than Philip, smooth-faced boys of eighteen. But there were a few who were older than he. He noticed one tall man with a fierce red mustache, who might have been thirty, another little fellow with black hair, only a year or two younger, and there was one man with spectacles and a beard which was quite gray. The lecturer came in, Mr. Cameron, a handsome man with white hair and clean-cut features. He called out the long list of names. Then he made a little speech. He spoke in a pleasant voice, with well-chosen words, and he seemed to take a discreet pleasure in their careful arrangement. He suggested one or two books which they might buy, and advised the purchase of a skeleton. He spoke of anatomy with enthusiasm. It was essential to the study of surgery. A knowledge of it added to the appreciation of art. Philip pricked up his ears. He heard later that Mr. Cameron lectured also to the students at the Royal Academy. He had lived many years in Japan with a post at the University of Tokyo, and he flattered himself on his appreciation of the beautiful. "'You will have to learn many tedious things,' he finished, with an indulgent smile, "'which you will forget the moment you have passed your final examination. 
but in anatomy it is better to have learned and lost than never to have learned at all. He took up the pelvis which was lying on the table and began to describe it. He spoke well and clearly. End of segment one. Chapter 54, Segment 2 At the end of the lecture, the boy who had spoken to Philip in the pathological museum and sat next to him in the theater suggested that they should go to the dissecting room. Philip and he walked along the corridor again, and an attendant told them where it was. As soon as they entered, Philip understood what the acrid smell was which he had noticed in the passage. He lit a pipe. The attendant gave a short laugh. "'You'll soon get used to the smell. "'I don't notice it myself.' "'He asked Philip's name and looked at a list on the board. "'You've got a leg, number four. "'Philip saw that another name was bracketed with his own. "'What's the meaning of that?' he asked. "'We're very short of bodies just now. "'We've had to put two on each part.' "'The dissecting room was a large apartment painted like corridors, "'the upper part of the rich salmon and the dado a dark terracotta.' At regular intervals down the long sides of the room, at right angles with the wall, were iron slabs, grooved like meat dishes, and on each lay a body. Most of them were men. They were very dark from the preservative in which they had been kept, and the skin had almost the look of leather. They were extremely emaciated. The attendant took Philip up to one of the slabs. A youth was standing by it. "'Is your name Carrie?' he asked. "'Yes.' "'Oh, then we've got this leg together. "'It's lucky it's a man, isn't it?' "'Why?' asked Philip. "'They generally always like a male better,' said the attendant. "'A female's liable to have a lot of fat about her.' "'Philip looked at the body. "'The arms and legs were so thin that there was no shape in them, "'and the ribs stood out so that the skin over them was tense. "'A man of about forty-five with a thin gray beard,' and on his skull scanty, colorless hair. The eyes were closed, and the lower jaw sunken. Philip could not feel that this had ever been a man, and yet in the row of them there was something terrible and ghastly. "'I thought I'd start at two, said the young man who was dissecting with Philip. "'All right, I'll be here then.' He had bought the day before the case of instruments which was needful, and now he was given a locker. He looked at the boy who had accompanied him into the dissecting room and saw that he was white. "'Make you feel rotten?' Philip asked him. "'I've never seen anyone dead before.' They walked along the corridor till they came to the entrance of the school. Philip remembered Fanny Price. She was the first dead person he had ever seen, and he remembered how strangely it had affected him. There was an immeasurable distance between the quick and the dead. They did not seem to belong to the same species, and it was strange to think that but a little while before they had spoken and moved and eaten and laughed. There was something horrible about the dead, and you could imagine that they might cast an evil influence on the living. "'What do you say to have something to eat?' said his new friend to Philip. They went down into the basement where there was a dark room fitted up as a restaurant, and here the students were able to get the same sort of fare as they might have had at an aerated bread shop. While they ate, Philip had a scone and butter and a cup of chocolate. 
he discovered that his companion was called Dunsford. He was a fresh-complexioned lad, with pleasant blue eyes and curly dark hair, large-limbed, slow of speech and movement. He had just come from Clifton. End of segment two. Chapter 54, Segment 3 Are you taking the conjoint? He asked Philip. Yes, I want to get qualified as soon as I can. I'm taking it too, but I shall take the FRCS afterwards. I'm going in for surgery. Most of the students took the curriculum of the conjoint board of the College of Surgeons and the College of Physicians, but the more ambitious or the more industrious added to this the longer studies which led to a degree from the University of London. When Philip went to St. Luke's, changes had recently been made in the regulations, and the course took five years instead of four, as it had done for those who registered before the autumn of 1892. Dunsford was well up in his plans and told Philip the usual course of events. The first conjoint examination consisted of biology, anatomy, and chemistry, but it could be taken in sections, and most fellows took their biology three months after entering the school. This science had been recently added to the list of subjects upon which the student was obliged to inform himself, but the amount of knowledge required was very small. When Philip went back to the dissecting room, he was a few minutes late, since he had forgotten to buy the loose sleeves which they wore to protect their shirts, and he found a number of the men already working. His partner had started on the minute and was busy dissecting out the cutaneous nerves. Two others were engaged on the second leg and more were occupied with the arms. You don't mind my having started. That's all right. Fire away, said Philip. He took the book, open at the diagram of the dissected part, and looked at what they had to find. You're rather dab at this, said Philip. Oh, I've done a good deal of dissecting before animals, you know, for the presi. There was a certain amount of conversation over the dissecting table, partly about the work, partly about the prospects of the football season, the demonstrators, and the lectures. Philip felt himself a great deal older than the others. They were raw schoolboys, but age is a matter of knowledge rather than years, and Newson, the active young man who was dissecting with him, was very much at home with his subject. He was perhaps not sorry to show off, and he explained very fully to Philip what he was about. Philip, notwithstanding his hidden stores of wisdom, listened meekly. Then Philip took up the scalpel and the tweezers and began working while the others looked on. "'Ripping to have him so thin,' said Newson, wiping his hands. "'The blighter can't have had anything to eat for a month.' "'I wonder what he died of,' murmured Philip." Oh, I don't know, any old thing. Starvation cheaply, I suppose. I say, look out, don't cut that artery. It's all very fine to say, don't cut that artery, remarked one of the men working on the opposite leg. Silly old fool's got an artery in the wrong place. Arteries are always in the wrong place, said Newson. The normal's one, the things you practically never get. Don't say things like that, said Philip, or I shall cut myself. "'If you cut yourself,' answered Newson, full of information, "'wash it at once with antiseptic. "'It's the only thing you've got to be careful about. "'There was a chap here last year who gave himself only a prick, 
and he didn't bother about it, and he got septicemia. Did he get all right? Oh, no, he died in a week. I went and had a look at him in the PM room. Philip's back ached by the time it was proper to have tea, and his luncheon had been so light that he was quite ready for it. His hand smelt of that particular odor which he had first noticed that morning in the corridor. He thought his muffin tasted of it, too. Oh, you'll get used to that, said Newson. When you don't have the good old dissecting room stink about you, you feel quite lonely. I'm not going to let it spoil my appetite, said Philip, as he followed up the muffin with a piece of cake. End of segment three.